Oscar Poker. So hi, everybody. I'd like to start things out with the four of us by saying that I finally submitted. I finally paid to see uh, The Amazing Spider-Man yesterday. I knew that it was derelict of me not to to have done so. So I did it. I paid uh, myself and a friend. We went, and it was like um, uh, 17 and change per ticket. And then I uh, got uh, two popcorns and a single drink, which was also 17 so there was only like $45, and I just was thinking, boy, I feel like an idiot going to this thing. You know? <laughs> well, um, I'm surprised that you paid $45. I mean, I'm surprised that you got two popcorns. You know how bad those are for you. Um, here's the thing. Uh, we're here with Hollywood reporter Scott Feinberg and, as usual, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com and Jeff, Hollywood Elsewhere, and me, Awards Daily. I just figure we should introduce it for people who might be first-time listeners. Fine. Okay. So, okay. Hello, Scott. Hello, Sasha. Hello, Phil. Here we go. <laughs> anyway, so I didn't. Um, I, I was amazing. derelict. I didn't go see Spider Man yesterday. I tried to talk my friend Robert, who's yeah. here from back east, to go, and my daughter Emma, uh, who's an Andrew Garfield fan, and and yeah. she she's more interested in building her Comic Con costume than going right. to the movie. So we didn't go. So we're derelict. But anyway, so how was it? But I was surprised to discover. I thought I thought I really liked this film, even though I I was kind of bored by it. I really liked this film uh, as much as the Raimis, if not a little, uh, certainly more than the last one. And I think it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, a, a face off with the with the Doc Ock version. That was number two, right? The the Raimi's second film. So I, I loved um, uh, Andrew um, Garfield. I thought he was really good. Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Yeah, likewise. But, uh, but, yeah. And so I thought, what? yeah, it's, it's no, it's just that, uh, you know, I love, I love Cliff Robertson as, uh, uncle Ben in the first one. And I thought Martin Sheen was terrific in that part in, in this one as well. That's a, you know, it, it, it could be a very boring, bland part if you didn't have a, a great actor playing it. So just, yeah. you know, just to mention that. The only thing that bothered me about Sally field, who is the, uh, stepmom, the aunt, um, is that every scene she was acting the hell out of that with with her eyes and her her features. She didn't say a lot, but uh, I just felt, will you stop acting and just kind of calm down? But um, other than that, I thought that uh, it was pretty delightful. And I even liked uh, Riz, uh, Riz Ifans, Ifans. And um, so I wasn't in in any kind of torture uh, state. I wasn't in pain. I was okay. So I just I didn't, I didn't care that much because 
event movies are always the same thing. They always feel the same. Mm -hmm. uh, they deliver the same uh, uh, atmosphere. They deliver certainly deliver the same. And you you know you you pay the money to sit in the middle of this immersive 3D event movie atmosphere, and you think, well, I'm seeing one of those. This is one of those big ones. And we we've seen them time and again, and particularly in the, in the superhero uh, genre, and particularly when we're doing an origin story all over again. God, I just have, it's amazing that they had the, the balls to do this. <clears throat> so, dear uh, I don't Sally know what... Field, please stop <laughs> acting. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I think it's weird that they ca they're calling it this the summer of the superhero. Isn't every summer the summer of the superhero? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's Phil, you could probably talk to that better than anyone, right? I mean, it's that's the, they trot them out over the summer because that's when you've got all your your kids with free time who who respond to that more than anyone, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's just way too popular, I think, and it it and the reason it is is I, I mean, nobody's rejecting it. The audiences are still showing up. I mean, and Jeff, I agree with you about the the I have definitely you know uh, origin story fatigue going on that's why i didn't really enjoy this movie i'm sick to death of watching origin stories there were yeah. Yeah. there were three or four of them last year thor captain america x-men first class and i want to say there was another one but I, I can't remember it right now um so then and now we have this one too and it's like i wish they took the hulk approach which was you know when when edward norman remade it you know introduce everybody to how it happened real fast and then just jump into the story i would have preferred that yeah um but we're we're looking at three hundred forty million dollars worldwide already, um, so people were clearly ready for this. I saw it with a paying audience; they clapped at the end. Mm -hmm. So it's like Hollywood, you know, they're going to keep cranking them out. It's it's successful. Yeah, whenever these things are really successful, it's not just a uh, round of applause for the people that, that made the right decision and they did well by themselves financially. Is that we, you and I, are going to be punished for this stuff over and over again? All. <laughs> All the more so, uh, and it's not going to stop. So, uh, might as well just uh, lie back and, and get ready for more because it's, it's – I don't know where they're going to go because how many more classic superheroes are untapped at this point? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, the, at the end of the, the newest Spider-Man, they are already setting you up for him, I guess, to be added to a future Avengers, it seems, with that same kind of tie-in, you know, little promo. Uh, and so I, I tell, that's where it's going, I assume. I mean, how can a movie – and, and again, Phil, tell me tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, when a movie like The Avengers has such historic box office figures, they're obviously going to try to do that again. And if it, how how are they going to do it differently? Well, I guess this time the only way you one up it is to find a way to integrate Spider-Man eventually. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not surprise at all. I mean, Avengers, you know, every every studio now is going to want their you know. $200 million opening. So, I mean, it's going to be imitated and, and they're going to find a way to improve upon it. And it's, it'll be, uh, it'll be brutal <laughs> from, a, from an artistic standpoint. But the more they, um, people cheer superheroes, the more they're proclaiming to themselves, to the world that they are, uh, they have no balls as, as people. They have no drive. <laughs> they're saps. They're, they're, you know, they, they go for the fantasy every time. I don't find it very moving. I really don't. You know, it's not. It's. Uh, I don't. I don't think that uh, it's anything that speaks to me. I don't. I don't need a superhero to take care of my life for it. Or, or, or you know, I don't want that. Uh, I don't. I don't feel that that dream of potency or power is is necessary to make me feel good. Um, but obviously, it's 
hitting a lot of people because a lot of people feel under uh, valued and they don't feel like they have any <clears throat> impact upon their community. And that's what superhero uh, movies are about. They're about potency and power and being able to live in that place. Right. Well, Spider-Man's about a little more than that. I mean, it's, it's a big puberty film. That's that's what it is. I mean, it's it's pretty blatantly obvious. They hit you over the head with it. You know, he finds his dad's, um, you know, secret files down in the basement, and then all of a sudden he's able to shoot white stuff out of himself. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, right over the head. I mean, it's just a big puberty movie. And I think people, even if they don't pick up on it on a, a conscience level, they, they relate to it. Um, they relate to that angst. They relate to, you know, the... The feelings of you know not knowing your place in the world, feeling pressure, everything like that. Um, I think that's ultimately why superhero movies succeed more than the the special effects and everything like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah Sasha, what do you what think was... of the the two female sort of targeted quote unquote superhero movies of the moment? You got the Katy Perry Part of Me 3D and uh, and Magic Mike. These are they're doing very well. Yeah. Are those female superhero movies really? Uh, well, I'm being a little bit facetious, but I think that uh, you know they're 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 uh, they're pretty popular at the moment. Yeah, I don't think Magic Mike is really popular with women, though. It's more popular with men. Katy Perry's probably popular with teenage girls. Wait, wait, wait whoa! whoa. Yeah, I went to the back up, Sasha. Whoa. Sorry, uh, at the, the, pole, the, the, the whole the whole line was uh, out the door for for um, Magic Mike. Granted, it was opening against Ted, which was entirely. Entirely male, so I uh, not entirely, but heavily male. So I just I don't know if it ended if it was deliberate counter programming, but that was Magic Mike was I know uh, who, I, heavily. I'd see Magic Mike over Ted, but I think what I'm hearing is that it's the bait and switch for women that they go in thinking it's going to be one thing and it turns out to be another. Uh, it was marketed as a you know stripper movie, and I I, don't, I think it's a lot more than that, and that's why it appeals to men more. You know the Soderbergh fanboys—they're just everywhere. But um, that's that's my opinion. I don't know. I have to see the movie. I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know. But uh, but for, for for my money, I think the Avengers is the best um, superhero movie and appealing to women as well because um, Black Widow is a great character. And more than that, I mean, uh, Joss Whedon does something that nobody else has really done: is that he actually tried to make it a good movie. You know, he didn't just say, oh, like Michael Bay does, you know, here's a bunch of special. I can't things. have this discussion. I can't have this. Okay, you don't have to have it, but it's the yeah. truth. And it, it, it gives me faith in the American public that $600 million shows you that it just has to be a little bit better than the usual. But crap. don't you, you really think that number would have been different if it was a, a media, if it was not better done? I mean, if you look at the sequels to the Spider-Man, uh, the first run of the Spider-Man movies, they sucked, but they, they made increasing amounts of money because i think people just return to the well if they've if they've been you know for yeah. for the avengers they were right. set up for with what five or six uh you know movies that I, I don't know if it has anything to do with quality at this point i feel like critics well, don't matter I think with, with avengers it certainly does they um usually you're looking at a 200 300 maybe 400 dollar tops you know hunger games is like 400 and then I think one of the Transformers movies hit that. But when you're when you're getting up to to, to Avatar, Titanic money, I think there's you have to admit that there's something a little bit more there. You know, when I talk to people like Emma's friends, they're all going to see Avengers multiple times, and they're not doing that just to see the special effects. They're doing it because it's an it's it's a it's a ride. It's a really good ride. 
And I'm sorry. He made a good movie. You know, like it or not, he made a good movie. It is. It's a good movie. And so I don't think. In other words, if you know. I don't think it can be repeated. Years and decades of movie watching. And it makes suddenly huge amounts of money. I'm supposed to go back to the table, rethink it, look myself in the mirror and wonder who I am. What do I really know? (laughs) I I have to really break through my blockages. As a, as a movie watcher. No, you right? would never get through your blockages to enjoy Avengers because <laughs> yours are already so set in stone. They're never going to be shaken up. <laughs> I'm sorry, but... I mean, you know, you... you the kind of movies you like are, are not this kind of movie. You know, you're never going to like ta- that. Wait, that, that very phrase, the kind of movies you like in your little corner over there with your... Right. With your in your little realm, you're saying that I live in a. I, I, I don't. I, I don't. I'm know a Hollywood Elsewhere reader. I know what your taste open. is. Huh? <laughs> I read your website. I know what your taste is. I know exactly <laughs> what it is. I know exactly what kind of. I, I've known you for years, Jeff. I know what your taste is. I know that the Avengers is not the kind of movie that you would like. Period. But it is the kind of movie that I can appreciate because. It reminds me of when I was a kid. I've already said this on the podcast, but it reminds me of when I was a kid and I was lining up to see Star Wars a million times in a row. Star Wars wasn't didn't make all the NET and Jaws. They didn't make that kind of money that they did because they were just special effects, just whatever you guys call them, event movies. But they made the money because back then they made those kind of movies with character and story. You know, and that's what Joss Whedon did, and that's what's missing uh-huh. with modern uh-huh. movies like fucking Michael Bay, who makes crappy, horrible, throw them in the trash movies that, that, that are, you know, just a total waste of time. And then Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan, I think he does something different than most other, you know, superhero guys do. But even still, his movies are remote and strange and a little obtuse, and they're not accessible. But I thought can I appeal to you at least at no, least on a, no, in terms of Sasha on the, in terms of readership alone? Can we stop talking about the Avengers? We're killing this podcast. I'm not going to talk about them. You guys brought it up. You asked me. I, you guys asked me what you thought my superhero woman superhero movie was or whatever. But the woman superhero movie for me is never going to be Katy Perry or Magic Mike. Okay, it's going to be the yeah. Avengers. How come you did you just you were in Yosemite uh, uh, this all most of this week, right? You just got yeah, back. Yeah, we just got back. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. So did um, you camp? How many nights did you camp, Sasha? We were there six nights. Okay. Yeah, it was beautiful. And so you didn't take any showers for six nights? No, you can shower in Curry Village, which we okay. Did. Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty civilized right. way to camp. It's not like you're up in the hills. We went on a 10-mile right. hike, though, which was way up in the mountains. That was fun. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into Beasts of the Southern Wild. Back. But let, first, Phil, let's just quickly assess uh, your specialty. What, what happened? Uh, with, with, uh, could it, was, uh, how, how big was the Spider-Man uh, um, revenue and how did that compare to other big uh, – let's just quantify it in terms of its, in its uh, historical context. Yeah, I mean, it's a great start, uh, you know, um, in terms of a reboot, comparing it to its its first six days to Batman Begins, which is the, the best comparison here. Um, Batman Begins did something like, it did close to 80 over five days. And, you know, Amazing Spider-Man did in five days, you know, more than 100 million. Um, so it's, you didn't have that kind of uh, sensation of people need to dip their toes in the water again to, to see if they, they did a good job on this. People were ready for it. Um, and, and the international number even, I think, is more important here. 
Um, you know, the, the fact that it did, you know, it's, it's raked in, you know, 340 million worldwide and, and mm-hmm. 200 of that is from international is huge. And there, there's a trend that's going to pop up. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but the actor that played the main villain's assistant, he's a huge, huge actor in India. Yes. And this had the biggest opening weekend of all time in India. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see more Indian actors popping up in blockbusters, wow. and you're going to see more Chinese actors popping up. Oh, that's it's so inevitable. bizarre. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it's just because those international markets are becoming, you know, very, very important to the yeah. bottom line. Wow. So, you know. The same thing with like Neil Kapoor and, and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and that that did a huge amount of money in, in India. Um, uh-huh. So that's that's where things are headed. Very so it's an interesting opening. It's a good. And it, the the last the thing I'll close on is that it needs to make as much money as it possibly can between now and July twentieth, because when Dark Knight comes along, goodbye. It's yeah. it's, it's yeah. going to fall off a cliff, and that's it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's what we're looking at. What do you foresee and, for Dark Knight? What do you got? Do you have any way of of calculating or estimating what Dark Knight might do for its opening? Um, what is it? Five, is it five day opening or no? No, it's a normal. It's a normal three day. Yeah. It's on the twentieth. Um, right now, we're saying one hundred ninety million opening weekend. Um, so put that into perspective, because I mean, they, look, they, the comparisons to Avengers are inevitable. Um, Dark Knight isn't in three D. If Dark Knight was in 3D, it would have the new record, hands down. Avengers would have had the record for, whatever, two months. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case. I also think, based on these early enthusiastic, word, uh, the early enthusiastic reactions I'm hearing from screenings, that this thing is going to be leggy as hell. It's going to stick around, and, and people are really going to want to see it multiple times, even if it's you know two hours and 40 minutes. So, so watch out. I think it... Absolutely, could I won't be surprised if it hits six hundred million as well. So wow. we could have two movies this summer hitting six hundred million. So Scott, um, you're based you're based in New York. Have you seen Dark Knight yet, or are you going to see it uh, this coming week? Or I think I'll see it this coming week. I'm actually not in New York at the moment. I'm in Amherst, Massachusetts, just for uh, sort of a vacation. So, um, but I I look forward to seeing it. I've heard great things as well, including one critic who I think. Got a little. I, I I can only assume he got a little carried away by saying he'd be shocked if it if it isn't a serious contender to win Best Picture, let alone be nominated. Which obviously the Dark Knight wasn't. So I mean, I I think that's probably just somebody, uh, uh, you know, that needs to come back down to earth. But look, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Right. I okay. had to write on Twitter. Would you leave the Oscar talk to the Oscar bloggers? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, That's true. I that should be that should be the new motto at the top of the site. <laughs> well, it's just annoying because they give us so much shit all year yeah. for being on. And then the first thing they want to do, I know a guy who's a prominent fanboy blogger who couldn't wait to get on and tell me all about the dark night and i just was like you know and he's all oscar this oscar that i'm like you know all you do is criticize me for writing about the oscars and now all of a sudden you want to talk about the oscars and what's going to win best picture <laughs> so and you got to remind these guys that like it or not uh you know the dark night was not nominated in 2009 uh the year that you know most people um assumed it was it was going to walk in there after you know a lot of the precursor attention that was bestowed upon it. And I just, I don't think that, um, I just don't see that happening. Even as the Academy, we, you know, they just recently announced their, their invitees for, for this year, who's, who's been invited to join the Academy. And, uh, and you can see that by looking at that list in the last few years, 
lists, certainly since the Dark Knight was snubbed, that they have made a very conscious effort to uh, diversify their membership, get younger people, uh, do anything they can to try to be more attuned with what the general public is um, thinking. And I still, though, think they're a long way away. We saw that L.A. Times article that, that, uh, or study that showed how uh, even despite their efforts, they're still heavily old, white, male-dominated. Um, and, and, and even with expanding the Best Picture category, again, directly as a result of the Dark Knight snub, they're just not bringing in more of those kinds of popular popcorn movies. So I, I'd be very surprised if the Dark Knight or any other movie of that still breaks that trend. I would, too, you don't except for one, would get nominated? one thing I will I'm, say. I'm skeptical, yeah. Wow. wow. The only thing I will say yeah. about it is that is that if it does hit 600 million and the if you build it up you build up Christopher Nolan never being nominated for an Oscar and having how many DGA nominations now? It's like 3 or 4 or something. He's had and and yet Oscar has snubbed him time and time again. And if the movie makes more than the Avengers, um if you add that to The Dark Knight with uh, Heath Ledger having won an Oscar, um, I think you could see enough goodwill toward him that they might hold their nose and uh, give the movie some love. Um, that's the only the way I could see it happening. I, I don't. I've always thought that they feel awkward about the whole bat suit situation. It, it makes them feel infantile and weird, and like they're voting for a kid thing. You know. I think you're right. I mean, I really do. I, I've talked to voters who say that the same way that they immediately they don't even think about the way that we we say oh i wonder if they're going to nominate this you know animated movie or whatever many of them although that's happened since they expanded the category many of them still re- refer to them as cartoons and say wait they have their own category why should why would i nominate it for best picture if there's a best animated category in the case of you know the popcorn movies they they don't have their own category but i think that's also telling because i just don't think they take them seriously and and rightly or wrongly, they see them as sort of, you know, the schlock that they, they throw to the, um, you know, what's the word that Jeff uses? for Jeff, you have a word for just sort of the, the, av- the average schmuck who, um, Ewok, not uh, Eloy. Eloy. Yeah, the Eloy, <laughs> Eloy. right. So <laughs> I think that's really, I think they share that, that uh, regard of them. <laughs> yeah, and also um, the, the fact that, um, that, uh, you know, if you take if you take all the movies that are coming now, and you you imagine the weird way that they're going to do Best Picture, because they gave they they made their announcement already for the change of rules, and they didn't say that they were changing the rules for Best Picture, oh. which would mean that it could have gone out to ten. And if it went out to ten, that loosens their restrictions a little bit for Best Picture, and that gives would have given this movie and maybe the Avengers a better shot of being nominated as one of the 10, but now they're doing the same hideous method that they did last year, which they only really focus on their number one choices. Now you have to start imagining how many Academy members are going to forsake all other films just to put, um, the dark Knight rises at number one. And it has to be Uh, a lot uh, of them. It can't just be a few of them. It has to be a lot of them picking it for number one. And that's, it becomes much, much more difficult to imagine them. Well, wait, actually though, isn't it, they just, it's not necessarily a lot of them. It has to only be number one on 5% of ballots that are submitted. So actually if they can corral 
enough people who are willing to put it at number one. It doesn't have to be a huge number. As I understand it, it doesn't have to be a huge number of people. It just has to be people that are willing to put it that high on the ballot, which I don't, yeah, I don't, I know. Happening. I don't know if they will because Christopher Nolan is such an outsider. You know, he's not a Steven Spielberg. Uh, you know, they, they go so much on cronyism. Oh, he's my pal. You know, it's like that Christopher Nolan doesn't have a lot of pals in the Oscars. Obviously he would have been nominated once for one of his films. He is well, an plus, Oscar winner, though, isn't he? Didn't he win for something? Maybe for editing, or was he? Or not? Edit, he was maybe he was up, screen screen. He was he was co-nominated with somebody for. Um, but look, I think it comes back. The bottom line is still the same: that they just don't want to necessarily associate themselves too closely with those kinds of movies. It's not their cup of tea. It's going to take a lot of years of of diversifying the academy before those tastes change. Notice noticeably, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't but think you it's impossible. point to history where they have, you know, um, Star Wars was nominated, you know, Lord of the Rings. It's, it's happened. I mean, if this is big enough, you know. Right, but that was when they had five nominees and they weren't doing using the same procedure that they're using this last year, which to me resulted in one of their worst Best Picture slates of all time last year. And I think that... Um, if they repeat that this year, you're going to see a lot of Academy favoritism. And believe me, you don't want to see Academy favoritism. Their best bet is if they can make it more even across all branches but uh, and not just go for the sap and not just go for the nostalgia. Um, but I think that uh, Moonrise Kingdom has a pretty good shot and uh, right now, you know. For, for best picture? For nomination, yeah. I don't think so. I don't. I disagree. Oh, it's going to be the seen as a very people. satisfying, smallish film that that everybody, uh, many people like, and nobody has a big problem with. But it doesn't have the the, the, the heft to to make it into that 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 circle. I don't. Oh, think so. Oh, it's going to definitely be quite a few number one voters' favorite movie of the year for sure. I think it's one of those movies. I, I don't see the Avengers or Dark Knight right now having any kind of number one support, but if I have to if I have to pick anything right now before it's ever even opened, you know, I'm not talking about The Master. I'm not talking about Django Unchained or movies we haven't seen. I'm talking about things we've seen, and I can see Beasts of the Southern Wild, and I can see Moonrise Kingdom in keeping with Academy uh, voting you know, patterns or whatever, that those two movies are much more likely to, to gain number one votes rather than something like The Dark Knight Rises. I have to, I have to say, I, I respectfully disagree. I, I, don't, I don't see, I, I think what Jeff said is the key there with uh, just the lack of, you know, heft. It's sort of a whimsical, you know, fun thing, but at the end of the day, it doesn't have the gravitas or sort of sense of importance that almost all Best Picture nominees do, and I don't th- I think they, they also kind of just based on the way they've reward the way they've not rewarded previous Wes Anderson movies, I think they just see it as sort of uh, you know fun, but but not especially uh, important Stand- movies. Yeah. But I think Beasts of the Southern Wild. You're absolutely right. I think that well, you know, we'll if see we look about at the that. La- but I think that um, Wes Anderson might have finally gotten the movie that will get Academy votes. Is is my point? I know they don't usually like his old stuff, but I think he's kind of overdue. He has a big cast in there, Bruce Willis, a lot of really likable actors. And um, the movie's got the best reviews right now. Its reviews are even better than Beasts of the Southern Wild, if you can believe that, if you go by Metacritic's score. 
It's but, possible. Um, it's possible. Uh, but it's definitely possible, especially if all the other upcoming movies tank. It has. It's like Midnight in Paris. It has that same sort of sweet, nostalgic feel. And if it continues to make money, and um, it has the reviews that it has, and if the, if if all the other movies coming up. Um, before we, uh, so can well. I just ask that before we get into the pushback about Reese the Southern White, because Phil has to leave before 10. Oh, Phil. So can you just tell me briefly, was there something that happened significantly as far as the business for Magic Mike and Ted the second weekend? Did you notice anything significant? Uh, yeah, I mean, Magic Mike fell a little bit more than I expected it to. Um, it, it dropped 60 It dropped 60% and it did $15.6 it's at right now around seventy-three million domestically. Um, so it's it's still a hit, and but yeah, it it just fell off a cliff a little bit, which I wasn't really expecting. I I'm I tend to think that the whole you know everybody saying it's darker than expected and everything is is being blown out of proportion. I think people still enjoy the movie, but mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where groups of women really rushed out on Friday night, and then. That was it. They were rabid, and, and everybody came out then, and then it just it's it's beginning its inevitable decline. Yeah, um, because Ted only women, dropped forty percent. It doesn't scratch that itch, right? I'm sorry to interrupt, but it doesn't scratch that itch for women. If it did, it would be making a lot of money. It doesn't do what we all thought it would do, which is hit that it's hole. But but that's how, that's what they conclude after they go. It's about how they've sold the movie, I think, oh, and the okay. way they sold it has been, uh, you know, very much targeted at at, at women. I know, but yeah. you can't bait and switch people. Sooner or later, they figure it out. They tweet their followers. You know, you're, you're talking about like Magic Mike did something wrong. You, you haven't seen it, Sasha. It's not I didn't say it did anything wrong. I'm going anybody. by what I'm reading from women's reactions, not my reaction, but women who are saying, "Oh, it's not. You know, it's not that great. It's not. You know, it's not as promised." In other words. It's not as promised. It's that's, not a sexy movie. Are, with, due, due respect, those are not very perceptive people you're, you're, you're speaking well, to. Well, it appeals I mean, to people like you, Jeff. It doesn't appeal to people like, you know, these women that I follow who, who wanted to go see a hot guy stripper movie. You know, whatever. What are these? Are these, uh, these women in your poker game or something or your, 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 your chat group? I'm talking about the people they... that put Stupid Twilight and, and Fifty Shades of bad writing at the top of the bestsellers list. I'm talking about those kind of women, the ones that like the Channing Tatum movies, the ones that go see the hideous Rachel McAdams movies. That target demo they were going for, they didn't scratch that itch. But Phil, if you broke down who's gone to see it, isn't it overwhelmingly those people? Because that's how it was sold to Um, them, but word of mouth travels fast, right? But I I still think enough of them liked it, and enough of them are probably seeing it twice. What I'm saying is it... It's almost like a, a, a fanboy it's, – it's playing like a fanboy movie. Right. You know how those things open really strong and then just fall off a cliff because everybody is so excited to see him the opening weekend. And that's what's happening here. I don't think it's getting necessarily a whole lot of repeat viewings, but I don't think people are as turned off by it as it's being made out to be. I mean I went to see it at a, a, the opening weekend, Saturday night, 8 p.m. show – the women were screaming at the screen. They were thanking the movie. <laughs> right, that and was they my... walked out happy. That's that, I'm just saying. That's my experience. And it was hmm. a packed house. So interesting. I, I think a couple people complaining about it online. It does not represent the, the general reaction about there. And I think it'll but it'll do really well does, when it comes out it? of Blu-ray too. I'll tell you what. And doesn't I agree, I had a similar experience it? with Phil, except that at the end of it, they were they were actually unhappy just because of the sort of abrupt un un perfectly resolved ending which is you know most you know that is the kind of thing that uh 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 
cultured film person understands is there's there's a reason for it. But the kinds of people who are, you know, that's where I think there's a bit of a letdown for people that are going to it because it's sold as sort of the hot Channing Tatum movie, and then they find out it's a little bit more ambitious than that, and and they they are, you know, in some ways let down by the lack of a Hollywood ending. But um, I, I haven't heard women say they were they were disappointed by the overall content of it. The arc yeah. of the film is about him coming to to realize, realizing that he has to have a life that has a future in something other than stripping. And she's uh, uh, Cody Horn is a representative of, of that life. And he's he comes to the end of that. And, and the last thing is, well, what can we do for seven hours? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty romantic ending. No, I don't understand yeah, what's wrong with people. Why would they consider that unsatisfying? I mean, well, because they need it in a bow. That's what they're used to. The the magic, the average magic Mike viewer is not uh, necessarily somebody who's going to go to Martha Marcy May Marlene or something else that has accustomed them to or had, has made them, you know, accustomed to that kind of a, a, a movie going experience where it isn't necessarily all resolved at the end. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not say, I'm not defending that. It's just I think the way the way they they uh, approach it. Yeah, I think that women were conditioned to go for a certain kind of thing. And, and, you know, I'm certainly not proud of that demographic, but it's there and it exists. And, you know, if they're hoping for that kind of money, which I don't know if they were or not, but um, but they were never going to get it by making a, a very, you know, a good artsy movie that appeals to a guy like Jeff. I can guarantee you that if it was the movie that appealed to that crowd, Jeff would have hated it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Okay. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> way to way to stop a conversation, huh? <laughs> no, I just know that the uh, there's something really horrible about the about the sense that you know the the, the more time moves on, the older I get, get the, the more people go for uh, you know seem to go for films that are just not have they have nothing inside them. They're just basically about you know, about impact and about those those woofer speakers behind the screen. And I'm just thinking, what the fuck, man? I mean, it, it's it's so puerile out there. The the general taste. And I just uh, I, it's almost like people have gotten dumber uh, <laughs> since uh, since the 60s and 70s. No, 80s. it's just. I mean, if you want me to tell you, I know Phil has to go, so maybe I'll tell you after. Yeah. But you know, women have been sold a bill of goods in life, and most of them aren't getting it, and they're stuck in these hideous marriages with these awful men who won't have sex with them, and they're lonely. Yeah. So what are they supposed to do? Have affairs? Go online? You know? Uh, but no, they they go to see movies that help bring them out of the misery of their lives they don't necessarily want to go and sit and ponder the existence or think about what steven soderbergh thinks about the internal life of a male stripper they just want to go out and have a good time because they're tired of changing diapers of cleaning toilets of working sometimes of having to deal with the hideous husband who won't have sex with them you know you got to give women Mm -hmm. a break for god's sake right give fanboys Mm -hmm. a break you give women a break you know all right I understand what you're saying. I understand the way you portrayed it. That was a good portrayal of mm-hmm. what uh, the person starred for a little fantasy is, is what their lives are like. I get that. Okay. Well, Phil, thanks for uh, doing this. And uh, I'm sorry. I know you got to go, but uh, we'll talk next week. And we can, and Sasha and, and, and Scott and I can continue, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again for having me, guys. Be well. Bye, Phil. <laughs> Bye, Phil. Bye. Bye. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Sasha, getting into Beasts of the Southern Wild, uh, Scott, uh, let's quantify. Let's be very precise now. There's been, you, you recently wrote a piece, uh, Sasha, in, w- in which you were kind of upset, and I agree with you, that there would be a pushback against a film so early 
in in its uh, emerge, you know, it's just emerging, just starting. People are just starting to get to 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 realize that it's that's good, and they're starting to, to sense what it is, and to have people saying it's it's marginal, like David Poland saying in that tweet that it's um, you know it's a niche movie. It's not a you know he's trying to basically saying it's not going to reach all that. It's not entertaining. It's not involving. And you also were uh, you mentioned Guy Lodge having a, a kind of a negative reaction. So from those two reactions, the only things that I know that are clear and precise, what uh, sense are you getting that there's other people that feel that it's not um, uh, as engrossing and not as satisfying as, as, uh, as enough to be a, you know, an Oscar contender? Oh, no, I don't think that. I don't think that at all. That's not what's, what I see is going on. And I don't, I have to separate Guy Lodge from the rest of them because I don't think Guy is, was operating from a pushback point of view. I think he was much more of a, that's just his taste, you know, his... Huh? No, I'm sorry. It's my computer announces the time every hour. Okay, <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> I didn't know. So, I, I, I have this guy named Ronald or, or, or George, and he announces the time. And it helps me because I kind of get lost in articles. And, I, you know, before you know it, it's like two hours later and I'm still oh, no, writing something. Great. I love it. I have this little timer that I'm trying to set for every tw- – because – I heard on the uh, on this uh, fresh air she was talking to this marathon runner who was saying that sitting for prolonged periods of time is really dangerous for your health um, and that it helps if you could just get up, simply stand yeah. up every 20 minutes. Even if you don't get right. up and move around, just stand your body up right. every 20 minutes, then you can improve yeah. your health significantly. And so I tried to set a timer so that every 20 minutes I was aware of that time going by. Cause That's it, smart. That's a smart thing. Yeah, it's hard, so, though. Yeah, it, why did you write then? Let's be clear. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Let me just go back. I, I think that Guy Lodge just probably just didn't like the movie, period. You know, that's just him. He's got weird, eclectic taste. He's got his own he, – he, he operates on his own planet in terms of movie taste. I can never understand where he's coming from. But but I think that the pushback is something a little more sinister and, and horrifying to me because, like – what I'm finding more and more is that Twitterers and, and the weird culture mob on, on Twitter and film writers is that they seem to have this thing about keeping American filmmakers down. And anybody who tries anything different, it's like, oh, no, that's not great. Or maybe they just don't like it because a lot of people like it. But whatever it is, it's it's very dangerous. And you don't see the same thing happening in other countries. You don't see the same sort of mob mentality pulling people down and – it can be really damaging to a film. You know, people go back to John Carter and so many people are seeing that movie and saying, you know what, it's not that bad. It's a pretty good movie. But yet the culture on Twitter was was just had to take it down, you know, and uh-huh. spread the word that it was a bad movie and kill it at the box office. And so for me, what I'm seeing is a guy who tried to step outside the box, make a movie that's different from what you see, something in my opinion, very beautiful and powerful and weird and ugly and un, you know, uh, unusual. And then I see a lot of people going, you know, having to uh, kind of rail against the praise. And for what reason? I don't know. To stand out? To get attention? Do they really? It's not just see contrarianism. It? People are just full of shit. That's that's that movie is in good shape. I think to me, it's the strongest, most likeliest. A most likely movie to emerge from the first half of the year with a best picture nomination. Mm. It's it's there's an indie like that every year that gets in, and often it's one that came out in the first half of the year. If you look at Winter's Bone, if you look at The Kids Are All Right, it, um, 
you know, we can go on and on and on. There are many examples. But the point is, I just think uh, in, in every instance, there's this pushback. Juno, after a while, you know, because what happens is the people who discover it early on are so excited that they go crazy about it. And then it builds up the expectation so high that when, when other people finally catch up to it, it would, it would be almost impossible to, to live up to the, to the hype. But I think that in, in the case of this particular movie, it's going to do tremendously well when you get to that important period in uh, November, December, January, when you've got the Gotham Awards, the Independent Spirit Awards, all these ones that celebrate this kind of a movie. And I think it could very possibly clean up there and, and end up with that one of the one or one of the one or two slots each year that that go to that kind of a movie, and also the fact that the girl is you know adorable and nine years old, and the whole backstory between of her and of Dwight Henry, who plays the father who has never acted before and and had to you know was concerned about leaving his bakery to act, and the whole thing it's just and and the fact that Fox Searchlight is going to be the the place selling that kind of a story it it would be surprising to me if it, it would be very surprising to me if it doesn't end up. Uh, in there at the end of the year. I agree with you. I completely, I don't, I would be inappropriate for it not to be one of the best picture nominees, at least as far as I, I can see right now. Mm-hmm. And it would be, uh, it would be very small of people to, to dismiss it because it maybe it's not going to make as much money as Fox Searchlight would like. Who knows what's going to happen? But you have to consider three things here. Uh, I, Sasha uh, was uh, professed to be astonished when I just uh, alluded to my little tiny Jeffrey Wellsian thing about having this feeling of too much mud and and and, uh, and muck and and flies and dead cows and alligators and all that stuff. It just started to, to build up on me after about an hour or so. And I didn't. It's not. It's not the movie. It's me. I don't. I, you know, I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted to take a shower. That's that's all I said. I mean, no, it wasn't. Just, you're, you're, it's you know. a valid criticism. I think that's that's a preferable con- criticism compared to some of the ones I've been reading. I've been reading all this stuff about how it's a, it's an ode to Republican ideals because they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and you know and reject public assistance and you know hello missthepoint dot com okay. you know, <laughs> it's so irritating. I think that people here have this idea that movies have to be perfect if they're in Oscar contention. They have to be perfect, you know, and if, if they're if they're not perfect, if they don't achieve, in their opinion, a level of perfection, then they start getting they start getting nitpicked and taken down. And that's the culture of what um, Oscar blogging has done to movies and fanboyism and all the stuff that goes on. I mean, that's unfor- the unfortunate part of it is that as a result, you're getting more and more bland movies because they're, you know, a movie like Slumdog Millionaire or The Artist or The King's Speech. They're pretty much untouchable because they don't reach too far, you know, they don't reach too high, but they do what they're intended to do and they're the most vanilla. And then they 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 um, they succeed, and so what 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 to me what what's happening is they're killing the artistic spirit. They're killing the thing that you know the the wall breakers, the people like David Lynch, uh, you know but filmmakers who really try to step out on a limb and do something different. I don't see a lot of that happening here in America anymore, and it's really I, sad. I have to say though, I don't think that it's fair to pin that on the Oscar bloggers. I think that that's more a result of the economic situation that's happened within the same 
you know, literally the time period that you're discussing, Slumdog 2008 through the present, there's fewer and fewer sort of artistically ambitious movies. But that's not because of Oscar bloggers. I think that's because as the economy has tanked, so many of the studios that were putting out those kinds of movies from, you know, your your Bob Yari uh, type studios to the uh, to, you know, picture your picture house, um, all the, like if you actually go back and look at the movies that and the, the major category nominations from 2007, the last year before the economy collapsed, uh, each one of the winners came from a studio that's no longer in existence. Okay, so there was There Will Be Blood, Daniel Day-Lewis, Best Actor, Paramount Vantage is gone. Um, Best Actress 2007, um, give me a second to remember what it was, but but Tilda Swinton for Michael Clayton, that was Warner. uh, uh, Was it Marion Cotillard for? uh... Marion Cotillard, exactly. That was, uh, and that was uh, Picture House, which is gone. Best Supporting Actor. Um, just give me a second. I'm pulling it up right now because this is. I think it's an important. This is great, like, Scott. This is a book idea here. You should write this as <laughs> well, a book. This is a, and I also thank you for relieving me of my guilt of being an Oscar blogger. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, well, I'm, I mean, look, I'm not. Saying I feel I'm like it's a horrible, horrible thing, that monster we've created. <laughs> well, but you know, look, I, I think that obviously, as more people do anything, you you have you create a bigger tent. You bring there are going to be some people who come into that tent who are who are not going to uh, agree with our outlook and ideals and whatever, how, how we approach it, what we want to see come of it. But I really think that the, 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 the bigger issue, and, and just to quickly finish on that, that first point, that No Country for Old Men was Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor. That was Miramax, that, which is really uh, having it's, – it's now been revived, but in a, a new incarnation. Um, and all of the others, including um, – some of the documentary category, all that, you know, they're, they're gone. And I think what's happened is that uh, the big studios that remain are less inclined to try to make artistically ambitious movies because they feel more pressure than ever to make a profit each time because they have to answer, and more importantly, their executives have to answer to their uh, corporate shareholders of the conglomerates that own them. So they don't want to go out on a limb. And as for the independent studios, they're not, you know, the, thank God they're still, you know, the larger ones of them like Sony Classics and Weinstein and whatever, but there are fewer of the really, truly independent uh, studios that that would go in and do some of the things that you that you're missing and and I agree with you it's it's sad that there are fewer of those that doesn't it's not better for anyone when we're seeing more you know uh, what to expect when you're expecting more bullshit like that and fewer um, you know La Vian Rose or or uh, you know um, some of these other movies that just can't be made because the people that, that made them no longer exist in as, as many num- in as large a number. Yeah, but if Beast of the Southern Wild does well, it, it will be to me something out of the 1970s era of filmmaking when you had movies like Five Easy Pieces and Midnight Cowboy um, in the Oscar race. It's like that is a movie. Beast of the Southern Wild is, is, is almost written in verse, poetic verse. Like it's not even actual dialogue and so much of it is symbolism and there's so much uh, richness there and it's not pc at all you know everything now has to be all pc and everybody has to be this and that and right and, right and the fact that he's just going on uh artistic vision and that i am 
I think he achieved something great with that movie. And then to see these petty-minded um, people with, with their lack of imagination having to take it down, either because they didn't respond to it or because they don't like seeing this little whip, this little upstart Listen, our, doing well. Our friend Tom O'Neill was said to me on this broadcast, on this podcast, when he was on, that, that he felt said to himself that this movie should be a little bit shorter. Now, he, is he, if he's maybe one of the venal mind, but he's addressing something that he felt within himself as he was watching it. Of course. He was alluding uh, to the same... Nothing is perfect. What's perfect? Right. I mean, you're never right. going to find perfection in art. As I said, I don't think it's the critic's job to find perfection. I think it's the artist's job to find perfection and to right. their mind. And we are not there to look for perfection. You're going to ruin it. You're going to ruin it. No, I, I don't think that art. David Poland was looking for perfection. But he also said he didn't think it was entertaining. Now, you have to address this stuff. You can't no, no, just ask say me if I care what David Poland thinks, first of all. Second right. of all, I, think, I don't sorry, care sorry, about sorry. entertainment. I was into how many movies released this summer are about entertainment? Right. There's plenty of bullshit amongst the, those that are trying to be entertained. And this look, the, the, the what I don't know what David Poland's saying. I know that Tom O'Neill's criticism is actually it, it, I don't disagree with, but I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to preclude the large segment. I'm not I'm not saying at all. It's it's a. Uh, 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 let's say that let's say that ten percent of the academy are people that are especially tied to or sympathetic to you know independent the independent filmmaking community. That's that's way more than you need to get this movie nominated. It's it's in I and 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 the 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 idea. I don't th- I, 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 the, the sense that people are calling it boring or or not entertaining. I I you know they're entitled to their opinion. I respect their opinion, but I mean that seems like a strange criticism. The the, the score, the editing, everything about this movie is the cinematography is so alive that uh, I think that it will appeal to a very broad group of people. And I actually do think that with Fox Searchlight um, distributing it, I think it has the potential to to make a lot of money, a lot more money than uh, than right. than other people are are seeming to to believe it will. Well, there's right. always the fight between movies that are art and movies that are entertainment. And we went to the uh, Getty Museum yesterday or the day before, and we saw the um, the Klimt exhibit where he had these beautiful paintings. And some of them were too risque to show to the public. One had a pregnant woman with a lot of skulls in the background, you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, it got me thinking about, you know, art as uh, being ugly and being beautiful at the same time and being not socially acceptable and not sold as entertainment, but art existing on its own. And if that part of filmmaking dies because david poland has to smush it into the group that is entertaining which are people that go see avengers is entertaining right porn is entertaining the food channel is entertaining because they eat a lot of butter but that doesn't necessarily mean that a film about that a film that is art should should be held to those same standards i don't think that it should i don't think that it has to appeal to everybody just like magic mike i don't think magic mike to be a valid film has to do well at the box office and that the the dumb you know 50 shades of bad writing demographic has to like it that doesn't make it a good or a bad movie that makes it entertaining or not so what that doesn't change the quality of the film at all if people thought I'm not you know, talking about the quality of the film, Sasha. I'm just trying to say that between my feeling that after the, the first 
first hour or so, it kind of goes into a lull, and I wanted to go into a Motel 6 and then start over again. I just felt too dirty. Uh, and then O'Neill and then Poland, that, that in- indicates that other people when they start to see it amongst the people that are going to vote in the Academy realm, I think there's going to be a bit of that reaction. Uh, sure. Right. Some, I don't some care. People... You know, Blood on the Tracks has one bad song on it. Does that make it less of a masterpiece of an album? Because I can't get 10 of my family members to sit down and listen to Blood on the Tracks. Does that make it not as great of an album? Right. It has that one no. bad song. But yeah. so what? This is yeah, not so going to maybe... be everyone's cup of tea, like you're saying. And the same way, though, look, the King's Speech wasn't everyone's cup of tea. Uh, the artist wasn't everyone. All you have to do is get a large chunk of people. You don't have to get everyone. And yeah. and they're going to do that. And I think the fact that we're able to name a couple of the people by name who are disparaging the movie is actually a, a, a pretty right. uh, reflective comment of how the overall consensus is in favor of the movie. Otherwise, we wouldn't be singling out the few people who are right. dumping on it. That's a good well, no, no, David hasn't been dumping on it. He's just saying it's a niche film. He's saying it's smaller than what its uh, admirers might He's expect. saying it won't make money. And if it makes money, it's a flop. I mean, if it doesn't make money, it's a flop. And if it doesn't make money, it's a failure. And that means it won't be. It. It, costs, it costs nothing to make. If they're going to they're gonna spend a few bucks to promote it. And whatever it, I, I don't think that they're worried about it turning a profit. I, it, it may not become Little Miss Sunshine, but it's going to make money. Yeah. Hey, speaking by the way of Little Miss Sunshine, there was a really good uh, review that I did not see initially out of the LA Film Festival of uh, Ruby Sparks, mm. their latest film. And I was wondering, Scott, have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet, and Sasha, I'm guessing, hasn't either because she's been away. But what's, did you happen to know anybody who's seen it or heard anything I, about I've it? I've also heard good things. I was at the L.A. Film Festival for a chunk of it, but that one was, I think, the closing night, so I had to leave before it. I, I have seen the trailer, and I've heard from people who have seen it, and I think it's, you know, it's, it sounds like an interesting premise. It's certainly a screenplay that I would look out for, um, you know, more than necessarily the, the film itself in terms of awards or, or even the, necessarily the performances from what, from what I gather. But um, I, yeah, other than that, I, I don't know. I, I've just heard it's a very interesting screenplay. Okay. The, uh, the, 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 the it's, it's, it's a thing called the uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl that that uh, has uh, figured in in films in the past that's the idea behind this film that she's oh. playing at Pixie Dreamer. <laughs> right 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 um so you know but Catherine Hepburn's character in bringing up B Audrey Hepburn Breakfast Breakfast at Tiffany's or Barbara Streisand and What's Up Doc uh who else they mentioned uh, Kirsten Dunst in Elizabeth Town um um uh, Natalie Portman's uh, character in uh, Garden State mm-hmm. that that type of character yeah. And um, so, what's the point of the film to to bring another one of those characters or to comment on yeah. it or what? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's an imaginary uh, woman that he that Paul Dano creates as he's struggling with a screenplay or a novel or something. But that's the idea. Oh, you mean he, the character in the film, creates it? Yeah. Oh. It's his, it's his dream girl that comes to life. He has the power. He discovers to uh, willfully create in through his writing. There's a girl that. That he, that a real person in existence who it turns out he can manipulate through his writing. It sounds interesting, yeah. and I wonder how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure my, my hunch would be having not, you know, I haven't seen it, but my hunch would be that, you know, like anyone, he'd be tempted to make her do all the wrong things and then eventually comes to appreciate. I remember there's a line 
you know, the, 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 the punchline in the, in the trailer is her saying, don't tell me how it ends. So she obviously finds out that he has this power, and I'm sure there's sort of a resentment about his ability to, to control her life and make him, you know, but I don't know. We'll see. Oh, wait, you know, if it's at all true to the real creative process of creating characters and creating stories, um, at a certain point, if you've done it right and you've created something good, you stop controlling it. It starts telling you what it wants and to do. And that would be brilliant if that's, that's what right. it turns out yeah. as. But yeah. I somehow doubt it. I think it's going to be a stupid romantic comedy. I hope it's not. But, Jeff, if that's yeah. what it turned into, then it would yeah, be a great, be great movie. And if it isn't, Jeff, you need to write that. <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it took but on let's, a mind let's of its own. Let's finish this up by doing uh, – now, the last time that we, we talked – when we talked with Tom last time, we did well, a quick rundown of the Best Picture nominees, just pure spitball conjecture. And it was Sasha and Tom's belief that Lincoln <clears throat> might not be the – because Spielberg, quote-unquote, might get in the way of it. He might screw it up by, being, by Spielbergizing it. And two, uh, Daniel Day Lewis's character might turn out to be his impersonation, his his um, you know his absorbing Abraham Lincoln might be uh, kind of quirky and, and build a butchery or something odd that might not feel right. Uh, do you have any um, feelings about that, Scott? Any kind of intuitive? Uh, yeah, uh, I um, I just first of all read uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Doris Kern Goodwin's uh, uh, team of rivals, which it's based on a, a portion of it is the inspiration for the screenplay. I also came across uh, a quote from Tommy Lee Jones, who's busy promoting uh, either men in black three or hope Springs, the one that's coming out with him and, and uh, Meryl Streep. And anyway, he was asked about Lincoln and he said, quote, uh, I don't think Daniel ever loses himself, but I don't think president Lincoln has ever been portrayed as well. He's read his history. He's read his books, Daniel has. And his Lincoln is a country boy who also happens to be a brilliant lawyer and a poet. This is not a Lincoln that's just stepped off the dollar bill or just arisen from the Lincoln Monument. This is not the icon or the hero, and he's not the joke of the old Honest Abe nonsense. This is a real man, and I don't think Lincoln has ever been done as well. So on the basis of Tommy Lee Jones, who's never effusive about anything, saying that, and also uh, you know, having seen what the, what the uh, source material is, I would mm-hmm. think it's it's almost impossible to screw up uh, to the extent that it wouldn't get a Best Picture nomination. Obviously, look, anything can happen, but my strong hunch is that it will be among the top contenders. And then you were asking for our, our just guesses for the others? Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's obviously The Master. There's obviously, you know, Great Gatsby and Beast we've already talked about. Life of Pi probably, you know. I would uh, I would add to those that you said uh, Les Miserables, I think is probably uh, yeah. could even win you know just by being so different from the competition. Uh, Anna Karenina I think is a very strong possibility. Just if you look at the previous uh, Joe Wright, Kira Knightley collaborations, um, and and the sort. Although you know I gather they're doing something a little different with this one, and then than just your traditional period piece costume drama. Uh, How are they doing it differently? How is Anna Karenina going to be different? I'm, gonna, you, I'm, gonna have to, I'm still I'm still doing my homework on that, but I, I just uh, I know they're taking sort of a non-traditional approach. That's what I've I've already come across. I forget specifically what what's going on there, but I would also just quickly because I, I I my sense is that there is sort of a a, a block of the Academy that's really going to go for a more, which was big at Cannes, uh, and um, I, I think that could be in there. 
And uh, that's not going to happen. They're going to put that's going to be a best foreign feature, and they're going to leave it at that. I think that's the safe way to go. And Sony Classics is not a hard Harvey Weinstein. They're not going to go out there and try and make a bet. They, they might fitfully, uh, cursorily try to make it a best picture nominee, but it, it's safe in the best uh, foreign language uh, category. You know, probably, uh, probably win. I would, I mean, has a good shot of winning. Certainly. I just know Michael Barker's all in on that. So we'll see. I mean, whether it works or whether it clicks or not, you know, better than me because you know, you've seen it, but I, I, um, I just think demographically that there may be a larger audience for that than, in the academy than we are accounting for. What about you, Sasha? A, a more best picture, uh, you know, mainstream or foreign foreign language? I have no idea. I, I they threw me off with their herding cats method of picking best picture now, and so it's really hard to know. You're you're, you're talking about a system that's really easy to manipulate. You've got studios and publicists and, and cronyism working. And so it's hard to know. I think that Scott's right about Lincoln in that it's a pr- probably a sure bet it'll get nominated. I just have my doubts about Spielberg being able to make a good movie anymore. I'm not sure about Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln, although I did go see busts of Lincoln at the museum over the weekend, and he really does look a lot like him. That's the weird mm-hmm. part. Yeah. He really does. And if he nails it, sure, it'll be great. And, you know, poor Spielberg. It's like every year people put his movies up way too high, <laughs> and they can't possibly live up to the expectations. Right. And so right. it makes it doubly hard for him to make a good movie because he's always having to live up to being Steven Spielberg. One way or another, he screws himself up these days. He doesn't – I mean, he hasn't really hit it perfectly or nearly perfectly since Schindler's List. And that's almost 20 years ago. Think of that. I mean, he's, he's one way or another, he overdoes it. He just can't right. help himself. So it'll be and a miracle if Lincoln is as good as everybody thinks it's going to be. But I think well, that but, um, Les Mis is the one to really watch out for because right. I think that Tom Hooper's understated style, he has understated style, will work really well with a sappy melodramatic musical like that one. So I think and, and, al- and also to that to that point Sasha, Hugh Jackman, you know, has not certainly he's made a lot of money for people in the movies with the Wolverine uh, franchise, but he has not uh, generated the same sort of acclaim in 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 film that he has on uh, on the stage, but I think here is like the perfect uh, combination of putting a guy, you know, matching a guy's talents with a film that would offer him a chance to to do something with it. So I, I really think that um, the sky is the limit for Lehman's Rob. And, and also I would just add, we left off earlier a few that are, are really um, ones to watch from, from everything I can tell. First, first of all, Argo, I know Jeff, you, you're much yeah, more skeptical, sure. but I, I'm telling you that the story is unbelievable and Affleck's gotten better with each movie. Yeah. Also the Hobbit also, um, which again, I agree with you, Jeff, with your, you know, I'm done with it also, but I'm, there are there are obviously people in the Academy who, who feel differently. Otherwise, it wouldn't have won, a, you know, as many Oscars as it did. I don't know. I think I worry about Peter Jackson because he's got such a reputation of being an asshole. I don't know if it's uh, if The Hobbit's going to go. I wouldn't put that on my first list, but we don't know anything yet, right? Because none of us no. have seen any of these movies. I think that, that he deserves some kind of Gene Herschel not, or some kind of, you know, uh, career uh, award right now for having uh, Shepard in uh, West of Memphis and done such a good thing as far as the fates of those three guys who got out of jail and for introducing the astonishing 48 frames per second uh, technique, uh, which yeah. we're all going to see, or at least I'm going to try and see at, uh, at Comic-Con. I, I want to at least go down there and see how the how those people, the, the low thread count, sandal-wearing, 
uh, Comic-Coners go for it, as opposed to the older, you know, CinemaCon crowd, which was almost 80% negative. Right. And and, and just uh, very quickly also to add to our list, uh, you know, again, who knows, but Django Unchained, Silver Linings Playbook, which is David O. Russell, um, and uh, kind of a sleeper. I wouldn't even necessarily say for best picture, but for acting nominations, Quartet, the Dustin Hoffman, uh, you know, movie. Why are you adoring Zero Dark Thirty? I'm sorry, that's the that's the other one. That's the last of the group. That's right. And I and that look, I think they're. I I I don't know how I feel about their decision to come out after the election. Obviously, they're trying to avoid being labeled uh, uh, an agenda movie with with a partisan you know motivation, but. Um, I I think that the you know it it could it could do a real service for Obama at a time when he when he needs it so I don't know why they're why they're running from that but I I do know but I wish they didn't I agree with you on they that. have they have because they would be seen as as a, as a partisan move on his- sure but uh, you know what I get and also look from a from a finance from a commercial standpoint they can't afford to have what happened with. Fahrenheit 9-11 happened to them where you're just it ends up you're the only people that are going to go if it's once it's made clear before the movie opens that it's a political uh you know that it's got a political agenda whether it does or doesn't if that becomes the the label that it's attached with then the only people who are going to go are people who are already sympathetic to that agenda and it won't affect change in any way anyway so uh, I agree with you that it's it seems cowardly and, yeah. um, I mean, it really does. It seems like bowing to the wing nuts who are going to criticize it. And, and that, um, is, is a drag, but remember fair game, you know, fair game was pretty much killed for the same reason. And I mean, it wasn't the greatest movie, but it was also even by the left, it was killed as being way too partisan and uh, right. liberal agenda. And they're probably just not going for that. They got a lot of, she got a lot of shit on, um, the hurt locker from the right. Anyway. I don't think they're helping her with the title either, though. I I know what it means now because I've looked it up. But who the hell knows what Zero Dark Thirty means? Right. I think that's one of the coolest sounding original titles. I think it's right up there with Full Metal Jacket. Who knew what I, that? I asked really a Navy meant? guy it what it meant, cool. and he didn't. <laughs> well, look, I don't disagree with you that it's cool sounding. It would look cool on a poster, Jeff. But are people going to go if they don't? You know, again, are they going to go in large numbers if they don't know what the hell they're? What they're Scott, this is this is the way to madness and and despair to say we have to is it cool to name a movie with that name because the dumb people the people that have no imagination the people don't have the ability to respond to a to a kind of a poetic quality in a, in a title uh, you know uh, the, the uh, out of the past was the t- was the name of the movie in 1947 mm-hmm. and that's kind of a kind of an interesting uh, absorbing title alluding to something obviously you know forces from the past coming and then they had to change it in the mid 80s to against all odds you know right, what, right. what's the more interesting title come on this is what's happening now it's even dumber than it was in the mid 80s now we're, we're we're worried or, or concerned or you you feel it noteworthy to mention that that film which doesn't that title which doesn't have a precise definition in every Tom, Dick, and Harry's head might be a problem. Really, this is moronic. I well, mean, it's not. But look, I, I'm coming from the point of view that I want people to see the movie, and I just don't. Uh, I, I agree with you that it's sad that this is a consideration, but the reality is that it is. If the difference between calling it that and calling it something that's you know somewhat reflective of what the movie's about could be considerable. Yeah. 
I know. I agree. I mean, it's frustrating, but it's true. It's the whole Magic Mike thing all over again. They had to market it as a beefcake movie because they knew no one would go see it otherwise. And uh, Zero Dark Thirty, I don't think it's the worst title in the world. It's a little weird, but um, The Hurt Locker was a weird title, too. Sure. Absolutely. The Hurt Locker was even weirder. I have a friend who teaches high school uh, age kids, and she says that the word ostentatious does not register with them. They do not know what it means. And she tried to explain to them that it means uh, having uh, uh, over overdoing it uh, right. to, and with bad taste. Vulgar, yeah. And they don't even know what that means, bad taste. You know, you show them, a, a like, I was there at, uh, opposite um, in Cielo Drive a couple of days ago looking at the spot where, the, where Roman Polanski's house used to speak. The, and I ran a photo of the, of the picture that is there now. Um, we are talking about the uh, uh, the culture, you know, bit by bit, year by year, just becoming uh, coarser, uh, less sensitive, less uh, less open to the to to poetry and to music, and and not and not getting the, the what real quality is. Uh, that's absolutely true, but that's uh, uh, and it's terrible. But that's uh, unfortunate. We can't have it both ways. Where you know we the technology that we that some people employ for for. Uh, you know, noble and and valuable purposes is also just as easily used for by morons for for mind numbing bullshit. So, um, you know, I, I it's it, there's no way around it except to you know somehow convince. Uh, well, look, the, these kids. I think it's look. I don't know that there is a way around it. These are the these are the, your future parents who. Uh, I, I do fear for the future a little bit, and I got to tell you, I, I'm visiting right now uh, a kids' camp where some friends of mine run a tennis program, and I spend a little bit of time with these guys, and I want to cry. I mean, they, the the there there's there's it's not very encouraging. Right. Well, they need to read more. Nobody really reads because right. we've set things up so that we have a shortcut to knowledge. Now we have Wikipedia, we have Google, we have um, Ask you know, Yahoo answers or whatever, you know, people don't really, I don't think they have too much too easy and they don't read. And if they read, right. they would get the, all of this, like Emma always comes out cause she likes to read. She always comes up to me with these words that she's read and she knows, but she's never said out loud and she always mispronounces them and I tell her, but she knows what the words mean. Right. You know, and I don't think you can ever get that sense of education and vocabulary if you don't read, especially if you're just reading shitty text dialogue back and forth. Or you and know. and not only the words, Sasha, but the curiosity to ask about the words. I don't think there, there's a, I think there's a, a lacking a, a lack of just curiosity to learn uh, to to be knowledgeable um, with a lot of a lot of uh, people that are even just a few years younger than I am. I think that they. You know, I have I have a younger sibling who who's you know I see him and his friends. He he's happens to be a you know a, a a pretty smart guy. Just graduated from Johns Hopkins, but some of his friends are you know there's just not an interest in 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 broadening their uh, horizons. And I mean I I don't think that's I think that's only reinforced by the bullshit that they watch on TV and oh. that they. Go you all know. the way to the top. We we live in a culture of stupidity. We have a stupid right wing culture that thinks that Obama's going to quote unquote force them to eat broccoli. Right. Ooh, right. so bad. Right. Force Send them, them to, to death panels. Right. And they make fun of Obama for being you know smart for having gone. Well, to it's Harvard. it's the Sarah Palin culture. It's thinking you're smart when you're not. That's the worst kind of idiot. The person that that is stupid but thinks they're smart. 
Right, and they yeah. make fun of someone like Obama who's educated. They make fun of right. educated people, you know, and, and stupid. Right, and now it's a sin. Now it's a, now now you're a snob, or you know, you're you're. It's a bad thing if you if you've gone to an Ivy League school. Suddenly they've right. reframed that. It's a bad discussion. thing. <laughs> you mm-hmm. don't want an Ivy League school president, that's for sure. But you know, right. it's also what they just... do is they find they find solace in in. Uh, you know, commiserating with other people who it's sort of just a uh, it's it's rooted in a resentment for people that, you know, the, it, it's 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 as old as time. They 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 think, oh, this guy must think he's better than me. But it's out of their own insecurity that, uh, you know, they, they couldn't quite carry the water as far themselves. But right. And we, we like stupid presidents. You know, they liked that whole culture of stupidity rewarded somebody like George Bush or Ronald Reagan or, you know, anybody that's just kind of. And Rick Perry would have fit right into that, but he was just a little too stupid. Right, right. He showed his cards too early. Yeah, but I think, I I guess I mean that there is no incentive for children to smart up when everything being sold to them is taught, teaching them to dumb down. Five choices Uh for food options every time you go to a mini mall. You know, the same stupid crap on TV. One awful movie after another just served up to them. Here you go. Don't even reach a tiny bit for something different. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they are are offered bullshit, they watch it, and then they want more of it. And uh, look, how many Real Housewives and Jersey Shore and all this – crap can 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 people digest without having it rub off on them and and become you know how i've heard so many people that say oh i i know it's stupid but i just watch it for because it's fun or whatever well eventually you absorb that and 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 that becomes you know that i think that that you can't help but but have it rub off on you right and there isn't any sort of over even in the 60s you know in 50s there were there was this idea i was watching clips from quiz show on youtube like with the real herb stemple and back then there was this idea this this kind of culture of you should educate yourself you should be smart look at these great guys who know all this stuff you know wow right. even they if it heroes. was fake yeah. it was fake i know but it was still that was sexy that was intriguing that people could right. know that much you know and there were great people worship bobby fisher who was a great chess player and you know right. all the stuff is just gone and now it's more about uh-huh. you know money and and it's the celebrity culture i mean look there 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 are this is something that i uh did my college thesis on and continue to work on about just how you know in a hundred just 150 years ago if you polled the american when you when they polled the american public who do you most admire there were inventors there were statesmen there were military heroes there were people that were uh you know they they were known for for an accomplishment today it's it's increasingly year by year more and more just being known for being known it's not it's not grounded in an accomplishment who do most who do most teenage girls admire most it's not Hillary Clinton it's not Madeleine Albright it's not even Sarah Palin if that's their political persuasion it's you know really the unfortunately the the snookies and the what's the woman who was a real housewife who then created a vodka brand um and made a lot you know it's like you want to just blow your brains out after a while you do but you also it gives you something to fight for like that's why i I, you know ultimately why i'm gonna i mean i'm a liberal anyway so i would have gone for whichever candidate they offered up but but i but obama to me and michelle obama like they do they represent the opposite of the culture of stupidity you know obama has never dumbed down for the dumb population. He's never done that. Even Clinton did that a little bit. You know, he dumbed himself down so that he could be relatable. And Obama never did. And it's too bad to me. So, you know, shit can the 
culture of stupidity, but but all I can think is that somewhere in some inner city, and I know I sound like a totally annoying, whiny, bleeding heart, <laughs> but all I can hope is that you know there are some black kids going to school who look at Obama and they don't even have ever have the thought in their mind that a black man can't be president. Well, that is a the one good thing go about the about the sort of youth of today is that they aren't they don't they don't approach things they don't even think about things in the way that even just a generation or two ahead of them did in terms of social issues and and interpersonal issues it's just not even a consideration for for most of them i mean obviously i I can't speak for the entire uh country but i my sense is that even throughout this places that were historically bigoted more than others uh it's less and less of an issue but you know what what really troubles me is to think that with with Barack Obama, you know, as the first black president, here's somebody who could not, you couldn't ask for anyone to comport themselves in a more impressive way. He's a, he's smart, he's articulate, he's never uh, sort of publicly uh, rude or angry or any of the things that, you know, that they try to bait him into being. And he still takes this amount of crap for it. Imagine, and, and has, and finds it this hard to accomplish his, uh, political agenda. So imagine when a mere mortal next, you know, fills that office and, and has to, and, and is not, and is not as uh, self-controlled and, and sort of focused as he is, I, as, you know, very few people are. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine how uh, in the future things are going to work with, with uh, you know, people of, of a lesser caliber in that, in that office, whoever they are. I don't know. It's scary thought. Mm-hmm. Could it be we're just getting old? I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's, um, listen, if you are, um, you know, if you, you there is a, uh, a type of complaint or a type of uh, distancing that people do experience when they get older, which is, you can, but you can smell that they're just not as attuned to things. They're not as involved. They're not paying attention. <clears throat> they're not curious as the, as they used to be as curious. And I, I, I can assure both of you that you are not one of those people. You know, nobody's getting old here. I mean, not not in my head. You know, I just think it's appalling. I mean, this is ridiculous. What what I what I'm uh, sensing in terms of the the, the coarsening of of there's so many millions and people that just aren't sensitive enough to, or curious or, or adventurous enough in their heads to want to. Um, Absorb, uh, you know, the totality of things, and 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 just discern quality, and uh, and to go to shitty movies. I'm just, right. I know Talking what I Eloy. What did they do with the Eloy in in the War of the Worlds or whatever? How did they how did they uh, deal with it? Eloy. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor saves them. He wakes them up. <laughs> well, who's we we're looking we're putting out a call right now. Anyone who's listening, step up, Rod. We need a Rod Taylor more than ever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if if a single one of them. Kim Kardashian moron that she is. If a single one of those dumb assholes st- stood out and did a little campaign for kids and just said, "Go to college, wise yeah. up, get an education," you know, instead of make yourself pretty and you know get fake boobs and go on TV and you're famous, you know, if any yeah. of them just said, "Go to college," if going to college became cool, although look what they're facing now. Look what they're facing with yeah. the student loans and how colleges are what fifty thousand a year. And you're not supposed to take out student loans. So what? The rich just get richer because they get to go to the good schools, you know? I mean, it's depressing. I don't really necessarily blame kids for tuning out well, uh, in the know, world uh, that's been made for them. 
You know, this uh, is a, a, a it's an awful world that's been made for them and, and not a lot of hope for the future. But I don't know. I just can't give up on it. I can't give up on society in my own mind. I can't give up on the fact that it's all over with. I do still hope that there there are enough fresh voices out there that see the world differently and can fight for change. I don't know if it's going to be in our generation, but maybe our kids' generation, you know. I think Before I'm gonna we... have I'm gonna have to just excuse myself to jump off a ledge right now, but that'll be. This is. By the way, one more one more thing about the picture we didn't mention, and I think it really is uh, be remiss not to at least at this point say that uh, Hyde Park on Hudson is something that looks like it might well be one of the best picture nominees if uh, the, the script is good enough, because Roger Michelle does this sort of, sort of thing really yeah. well. And I, and I, I believe that it's going to have some really fascinating performances. So that that should definitely be at least uh, uh, spoken about as a, as a distinct possibility. But just remember Venus. I mean, that yeah, it got Peter O'Toole a nomination. I thought I, I actually liked the movie as much as anyone, but I, I that was not the kind of movie that was of the scale or or uh, substance that that necessarily yeah. clicks with voters. So I agree that if anything, look for acting nominations. But I'm I'm skeptical that it's the kind of uh, that he can make the kind of movie that that would survive the best picture. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do okay. my what I let's say. Okay, we don't know if it's going to be five. We don't know if it's going to be six or seven or eight or nine. We just don't know how it's going to fall. Last year it was nine, but it's probably mm-hmm. not going to be nine again. Maybe it will. I don't know. But if we had to do nine best pictures right now, mm-hmm. sight unseen, I'm just going to say this to you guys as as an experiment because I want to yep. see how close our perceptions are to what inevitably happens. If we're totally off, if we're kind of off, if we're, you know, I'm just going to go by what I think and I think the general. So we've got Les Mis, Lincoln, right. The Master, Django Unchained, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, that's five, um, Zero Dark Thirty, that's six, and then... Um, Gatsby. Gatsby, maybe. I'm a little more skeptical about Django and Gatsby than than. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I I mean, look at what look at Australia. Look at everything right. that uh, Baz Luhrmann's ever done, except for Moulin Rouge. Which, not to say they're not fun, entertaining movies, but they are not Oscar movies. Right. I I hope that I hope that it's great because I want it to be great, but uh, I I don't know. Okay, so then we've got. Just two more. So what would you put in there? Would you put Dark Knight Rises? No. Okay. What am I missing? I would – well, first of all, I, I'm just looking at my notes. I think Hyde Park on the Hudson has a shot, like Jeff said, but I'm not putting it in. I would put, however um, – Do you agree Jeff, with no, me on the seven I said so far? I, I'm not sure that I would put Django or uh, – or um, what was another one that you said? I'm not sure that I would put Django or. Um... We we took it off already, so now we've got seven. We've got oh, so Layman, Lincoln, yeah, Le- the Master, um, hmm. Beast of the Southern Wild. What about Life Pie? I thought I thought everybody was so excited about that. It, um... I'm not sure that I buy it. I'm based on. Tw- I know what you're saying. I heard that reaction, but I, I I can't say it's in based on 20 minutes of stuff. The story is kind of. I don't know. Okay, I'm not... here I'm going to do my 10, then you do your 10, then you, Jeff, you do your 10, okay? Okay. Right. Unless this is too boring. and Oh, this is fun. Go. Okay. I go uh, Les Mis, Lincoln, The Master, Django Unchained, Beasts of the Southern Wild, Moonrise Kingdom, Zero Dark Thirty, um, I'm going to say The Dark Knight Rises, 
and then one other one would be the Joe Wright movie, Anna Karenina. So those are my nine. Jeff, why don't you go ahead? What did I miss, Scott? Uh, I, I, <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm doing. I'm still going through mine, but okay. that's that's a. It sounds like a decent list. I'm I'm still working. I'm I'm going to let you guys go. Okay. Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln for sure at, at number at the top. Um, uh, I'm starting to think that um, Dark Knight Rises uh, uh, might be um, uh, as good as what all these people have been saying. I'm not trusting that, but if it is, I would love to see it as one of the best picture nominees. So I'm going to put that in. Definitely, um, I think because of the audacity of the visual scheme and the, you can feel great energy off great Gatsby. So I'm going to say uh, that feels like, it, and, and then definitely Beast of the Southern Wild in in number four. Uh, definitely Les Mis, um, I, I probably, most likely Anna Karenina, unless, if, as Scott says, there's something uh, that's not uh, traditionally, you know, uh, historical about it, something that's uh, some kind of energy that's different. Definitely Zero Dark uh, Thirty. I, I think at this point, definitely Hyde Park of the Hudson. And um, is that 10? I can't. You got uh, eight maybe so Or the Master. The Master, I'm forgetting that. Okay, so now uh, you but have I don't nine. Know master. I don't know about what Paul Thomas uh, Anderson has here exactly. Uh, I don't know how small or how big or how, um, you know, thematic, historical it is. Maybe it's a character piece. I don't know. So. Okay, that's a good nine, I'd say. All right, yeah. Scott, your yeah. turn. All <laughs> right. going to blow um, us away. <laughs> no, you know, this is a lot of fun, and we'll have to, we'll have to play back this tape in uh, February at some point yeah, and see yeah, how we did. Definitely. But <laughs> I would say um, in, in no specific order necessarily – Les Mis, Lincoln, The Master, Zero Dark Thirty, uh, Silver Linings, um, uh, Playbook, the David O. Russell, um, The Hobbit, uh, Anna Karenina, Gatsby, and I think I have two more, so I would go Argo and Beasts of the Southern Wild. Excellent. I have to put Argo in mine. I think I'm going to swap out Anna Karenina with Argo. Although okay. it's a tough call thinking that those guys are going to go for Ben Affleck's movie at number one. It was hard enough for them just to get the town nominated with 10. That's true, but that was before the passion voting. I think with the passion voting, it would have been in over. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard too, to say I, because, you know, there are just some people they don't want to let in the club. And I sort of feel like Ben Affleck is sort of one of those guys. But we'll see. Could be. Could be. I mean, that's going to be. The thing is, I, I, I have only recently learned the. the um, sort of the details of the story of that film that it's, that the film is based on and also um, how Warner Brothers is, uh, you know, approaching it as far as, you know, where they were, what they regard it as. And, and my sense is that it's, it's uh, the real deal. So we'll see. Okay. All right. Well, guys, I think we've talked a long time here. It's um, okay. an all hour right. and a half. Do you want me to yeah. cut out all the politics stuff or keep it in? No, no, it's that. That's the that's the that's great stuff. That's that's uh, vital stuff. I don't I don't think. Yeah, no, keep it in. Scott, what do What's you? What's the difference? If it goes I, long, it goes long. So what? I, I mean, don't. We, I, whatever, whatever you guys feel like. I mean, it's your your game or your show. Uh, uh, but I, yeah, whatever you want. Okay. Hey, can I ask both something quickly now that we've have we have we shut off here? Can I just no. ask you something? About, I can turn uh, it off if you want. I'm going to stop recording. Yeah. All right. Well, just let's just say ask. goodbye then before we stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. So nice talking with uh, you guys. I, I just want to share something with you. Uh, we had. Uh, <laughs> but say had, goodbye uh, just for the recording, Jeff. Okay. 
Just say what? goodbye for the recording so that I can get that on record, and then you can talk. Okay. The, it was a, it's been a delightful discussion, uh, Scott. Thanks for joining us, and I, and I, and I think that you, we should indeed listen to this, uh, you know, five, six months hence and see where, uh, how prescient we, we were. But uh, anyway, it was really good. And Thanks I'm, for uh, having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, great okay. talking to you guys. All right. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and special guest Scott Feinberg from Hollywood Reporter. And I'm Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music today was You Get What You Need by Jet and Girl in the Boys Room by Rain Perry. Thanks for listening. In the sticks of Southern California, I never see the sun. I spend summer trying to figure out how Neil Young hammers on the D string, the needle and the damage done. By watching Brockett's fingers on the frets Danny's more concerned with how he looks when he plays He does the best he can to resemble Jimmy Page With his guitar down to his knees I don't know how he plays that way But it works upon me just as it's in
From the bedrooms of two teenage boys who took me seriously. And that has made all the difference to me. And it's part. 